You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Alan Chews is the book critic for NPR's All Things Considered. His latest novel out in a trade paperback is To Catch the Lightning. His latest collection of travel essays is A Trance After Breakfast, coming in March 2011. His newest novel is Songs of Slaves in the Desert. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Pleasure, Ray. Today we have uh, some really interesting uh, books, three great books that I think really speak to why it is so great to read. These cover a vast range of moods, history, settings, and they're all, I think, really pretty top-notch books. I think that's why, uh, I mean, most two of the, of the three are poet or poetry or about poets, so that uh, poetry is, I guess, close to time travel and space travel. Novel is overland journey, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about the, the uh, Poet Laureate Anthology, because that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that struck me when I was reading this was how good a job uh, the people who choose the Poet Laureates have done. Yes. Because when you look back over, say, at the history of the Academy Awards or lots of other, you know, awards and, right. and honor- honorees, I mean— most of them are forgotten. Yes, I was just looking at the list of the Pulitzer winners uh, over the years, and uh, there are a lot of books you can't even call clinkers because you never heard of them, so you <laughs> can't have read them uh, over time. Yeah, and I think here you just see just one after another poet. And what's so interesting, I mean, the gallery of photographs, the the, the sweep of history here is really phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't, I mean, you can't beat... Uh, Having Robert Frost hanging around for a while, no. or or Gwendolyn Brooks, um, you know they were. I mean, they were there before. I guess it was, it was called the consultant in poetry mm-hmm. post. Uh, but you know, even then, it was you know Alan Tate and Robert Lowell, um, William Carlos Williams in 1952, um, and I mean, these are giants. Um, and when, then when I guess Penwar, Robert Penn Warren takes over, they, that's the first year, uh, I think it was 1964, that they began to call it uh, Poet Laureate. And well, since then, more giants. I, I just think the, the it's also great to see the reflections between what we know, you know, happened in history and what, would, what the poetry that was coming out at that time in history. It's the... the overall effect of this book between the pictures, the history, and the poetry, and, you know, the history is completely outside of the book, <clears throat> is really, it's a, it's a pretty stunning uh, uh, feeling to, to read this book, mm-hmm. because it immerses you, I think, in the history of what was happening, which, as I said, is outside uh, of the, the book, and also in the art. So it's a, it's a really uh, strange and, I think, unique kind of reading experience. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's really uh, it's like dashing from mountaintop to mountaintop is the way I see it. Uh huh. Yeah. Very you know, very very few lows. <laughs> well, two also. Um, you get to following that that metaphor. You get to use uh, um, you have just such a wide view 
of everything because of the that kind of because of our historical understanding of what has happened. So we can you know uh, match the poets and the poetry to the times, mm-hmm. and I just think it was really it's a it's a great collection and a really unique idea too. But it's it's not without uh, play. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, one of my favorite poems in here is the. Uh, a sonnet called Sonnet by uh, Billy Collins, one of the more recent uh, laureates, which I will be happy to read right now. Sonnet. All we need is 14 lines. Well, 13 now. And after this one, just a dozen to launch a little ship on love's storm-tossed seas. Then only 10 more left, like rows of beans. How easily it goes unless you get Elizabethan and insist the iambic bongos must be played and rhymes positioned at the ends of lines, one for every station of the cross. But hang on here while we make the turn into the final six, where all will be resolved, where longing and heartache will find an end, where Laura will tell Petrarch to put down his pen, take off those crazy medieval tights, blow out the lights, and come at last to bed. Billy Collins is such a is such a national treasure. He, yeah, he's but, he's so smart and so wonderful and fun. Yes, and that's one of the things. And I think too that that the historical aspect uh, also makes this fun too to to look back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying the more recently uh, they've written, the, the funnier they are. But uh, the, the last year's uh, poet laureate Kay Ryan has a wonderful little poem in here called This Life. Let me read that. It's a pickle, this life. Even shut down to a trickle, it carries every kind of particle that causes strife on a grander scale. To be miniature is to be swallowed by a miniature whale. Zeno knew the law that we know. No matter how carefully diminished, a race can only be half finished with success. Then comes the endless having of the rest. The ribbons stalled approach the helpless, red-faced urgings of the coach. I mean, that's just absolutely charming. Um, but then there's another poem with the same title called This Life uh, that Rita Dove, who was um, 1952 laureate for... Uh, excuse me, she was born in 1952. She was laureate um, in 93 to 95. Let me read the same title. Entirely different poem, This Life by Rita Dove. My grandmother told me there'd be good days to counter the dark ones with blue skies in the heart as far as the soul could see. She said you could measure a life as in many ways as there were to bake a pound cake, but you still needed real butter and eggs for a good one. Pound cake, that is. But I knew what she meant. She was always talking around corners like that. She knew words carried their treasures like a grape clusters around its own juice. She loved words. She thought a book was a monument to the glory of creation and a library. Well, sometimes just trying to describe jubilation will get you a bit tongue. So let's leave it at that. But my grandmother was nobody's fool, and she'd tell anybody smart enough to listen, don't let a little pain stop you. Try as hard as you can every minute you're given, or else sit down and shut up. Though in her opinion, keeping quiet in noisy times was a sin against everything God and democracy intended us for. I know she'd like where I'm standing right now. She'd say, a man who could measure his life and deeds was larger inside than the vessel that carried him. She'd say, he was a cluster of grapes. 
My grandmother was only four foot ten, but when she entered a room, even the books came to attention. Giants come in all sizes. Sometimes a moment is a monument. Sometimes an institution breathes, like a library, like this halcyon day. I mean, that's wow, that's just gorgeous. so great. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, has its own touch to the cosmic. Uh, although, you know, it's it's quite rhetorical, even though it's, the language is relatively simple compared to what we expect out of most poet laureates. But uh, you know, the, you go from that poem or the the other version of this life to the great, great, great poets uh, included here, like William Carlos Williams and, and Frost and uh, Lowell. And Lowell, yeah, you, you say you get a, a broad reach, all of them deep. It's it's well worth anybody's time and money to, to buy this book, and it's a book that you can will read and reread, too, I think, that that makes it that's one of the i think the benefits of books oh, like yeah. this you can, and every time you read it you'll get something different out of it you'll see another picture something else has happened in his, that's historical it's uh, certainly uh, outstanding poet that's not the the last stop of poetry for on our journey today we have lan samantha chang all is forgotten nothing is lost now this is a a, a book about writing poetry it's a right it's about poets in a poetry school <laughs> a kind of mfa program mm-hmm. and when you start the novel you think oh my this is going to be a small and dreary picture <laughs> that she's painting mm-hmm. but this uh, this is a relatively short novel it's only about 200 pages and it opens up into uh broad spaces and has has a broad reach into the lives of artists and into the lives of all of us as these poetry students whom we follow uh, begin to grow into the into what I guess they would call the real world. Well, it's so um, interesting to to see how she you know develops the characters and the plot and has that kind of unfolding and, and like you say when. When I got this book, I thought, "Oh my gosh, you know, poets in a poetry school—it's—it's it's not Harry Potter, but it, it's the the characters are so beautiful, and the, also she's a, a fantastic prose writer, yes. which really which is interesting to see in a book about poetry. Yes, it's a very carefully sculpted book without ever, ever, ever veering toward pretentiousness. That's one of the things I think that uh, makes the book so appealing. It's and as you noted the the you know brevity of it, uh, it really does. It has this very clear and uh, limpid feeling that's that's so concise and so compelling too. That's one of the things I think that you do not expect when you read this novel that it's going to be as compelling to read mm-hmm. and as much of a page turner in terms of, you know, finding out where she's going to go and, and yes. what's going to happen to these people. Yes, you know, I, I teach in an MFA program, and uh, Chang teaches in an MFA program, and uh, when I pick up a novel written by the head of the Iowa Writers Workshop about poets in a poetry workshop, I have to say I grit my teeth slightly, but, you know, my 
jaw was hanging open by the end of you know the first couple of chapters and i was singing by the end of this novel well i i really uh thought that the the pacing was also very nice in this that mm-hmm. and this is something that that again a lot of the pleasures of this book are things that you absolutely don't expect to find at all in this book. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that makes it uh, so uh, immensely readable and approachable to people who are not poets, are never going to be poets, mm-hmm. and are not going to even necessarily read poetry. Mm-hmm. Well, it connects ordinary people to these ordinary people who happen to have a talent for poetry. It's really... Uh, and and the... Um, the prose itself is very approachable and just it recasts, I think, our perceptions of this kind of book and certainly mm-hmm. of the people who are in these programs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, um, our third book is, is I think, uh, by, by Walter Mosley, who himself, I think, is in many ways uh, a, a poet on many levels. Well, he's also a writing factory. I mean, this is something like his thirtieth like book. He's written uh, detective novels. He's written uh, period pieces set in L.A. in the forties um, and fifties. He's, um, he's quite written. a quite a prodigious uh, creator of fiction and science fiction too. Right, um, and some nonfiction also. This one is. Uh, He's just dropped his uh, genre hat and put on his mainstream hat and written what is really a lovely, appealing, fable-like, but not written as a fable, story of uh, a 90-plus-year-old black man living in L.A. in a a room that's just crammed full of all the stuff he's collected over the course of his life, uh, including, as we learn about midway through the novel, and I'm not giving too much away to say this, a a stash of gold bricks. (laughs) Uh, His memory is fading, and his uh, life is fading, and then appears this uh, young woman, around 22, I guess she is, named Robin, a family friend, who takes him to a doctor who's kind of a cross between... uh, Dr. Frankenstein and Dr. Faustus, who puts him into an experiment with a serum that allows him to uh, have almost total recall for a short period of time before he dies. And um, so the novel is a kind of meditation on memory, on old age, uh, on friendship, on love. It's really, really wonderfully engaging book. You know, uh, you said he dropped his genre hat, but actually, I think he this is book uh, shares a lot with a, a very famous science fiction novel, Flowers for Algernon. Uh huh. And I, that's as soon that as it occurred I, to me yeah. that um, this kind of uh, using uh, a, something out of the fantastic or, or something out of science to give somebody a second chance, a, mm-hmm. a reapproach at life and a, a, a revision, but to have that kind of time limit hanging over it, mm-hmm. to understand that there's that this refresh can't last forever. And, and I think um, one of the things that that does is really increase the poignancy of the book. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it makes it seem so much more immediate. And his again, his prose, his, his ability to evoke old age and to 
to evoke the feeling of looking back on your life is really unparalleled. And it's very beautiful and it's sweet and it's funny. I I, I thought too, um, again, the genre aspect of it, that, that uh, uh, MacGuffin, as it were, gives it uh, a real sense of tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a really lovely book. Um, it's uh, mostly writing uh, at the top of his powers, I think. And it's so interesting, um, as you point out, how um, much variety he puts into his work. He has a, I mean, he's has an ability to effortlessly uh, write an incredibly good uh, mystery, period pieces, history pieces, and I. But still, I think you can see there's his voice at the center of all of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, in this book, it's a really sweet voice. Uh, kind of like a man playfully taking up a very wonderful cello piece. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, well, one thing too this, that the, that this shares with uh, uh, Chang's uh, novel mm-hmm. is that it's very brief. I, and I think that really um, makes the book more readable and makes it more enjoyable. And again, that plays to the uh, central theme of theirs there's there only some there, that there's only so much time yeah well you're you're probably right but dang it my new novel is coming out in march it's 500 pages what can i say <laughs> <laughs> well that's a different kind of immersion and i there's nothing better than a, a nice thick about 500 to 600 page uh novel that immerses us in history and that's you say a, the sweetest thing well no that's, that's true it's i really look forward to both types of novels. It's, you yeah. don't want everything to be one I or too. the other. I do too. It's the, the joy of reading is that you can pick up three different books like this that are completely, wonderfully, superbly uh, high-quality works of art that reflect our times, reflect other times. They have nothing in common in many ways except for the great quality and variety of the reading experience they offer. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I've been speaking with Alan Shoes. His forthcoming novel is Song of Slaves in the Desert. His new uh, collection of travel essays is A Trance After Breakfast. His latest novel out in trade paperback is To Catch the Lightning. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Great pleasure, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.